Oh my goodness, you crazy son of a bitch. Do you have any idea what you've just done? You've just discovered the Marts and Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is the show that may or may not be an hour long based on your perception of time and how much I've got to say. So strap yourselves in and prepare your ears for the journey of a lifetime with your host of the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour, me, you idiot. Welcome back to the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. My name is Martin Lestraps, and as I am every week, I am your host, and I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm thrilled to have you guys back. Uh, last week, you heard my conversation with New York Times and USA Today best-selling author, Joanna Penn. Uh, Joanna, of course, is also the, uh, the, the creator of the, the Creative Pen. And uh, I just, we, we had a outstanding response to last week's episode. Uh, a lot of people listened to it. Uh, a lot of you enjoyed it. And I couldn't be more thrilled with the outcome. So, uh, so I'm really, really happy that, uh, that you guys checked out the show. And I'm sure that many of the folks who listened last week, uh, and I hope at least a few of you are listening right now, because uh, otherwise that would make this part of me talking a little awkward, I guess. But anyway, I'm sure many of the folks who listened last week uh, came to the show for the first time because of Joanna Penn. Uh, in all likelihood, uh, you probably have never heard of me before, and you probably had no idea that my podcast existed in the world at all. But you know Joanna Penn, and you're a fan of Joanna Penn, and you you saw that she did an interview on a podcast called the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour, so you checked it out. And even though you listen to the show for Joanna Penn, I still want to extend my appreciation, and I want to say thanks, uh, and, and I want to tell you how much I appreciate you guys checking out the show. And of course, for those of you who are my uh, my loyal weekly listeners who come every week to check out the show. I don't want you guys to feel left out, and I certainly don't want you to feel like I'm taking you for granted. So obviously, or maybe it's not obvious. If it was obvious, I wouldn't say it. So maybe it's not obvious, which is why I'm going to say it. Thank you guys so much for checking the show out every week. And of course, thanks to to the new listeners who checked out the show. Uh, and I hope I hope you're back this week. In fact, I sort of anticipate you're back this week because... I have another conversation with Joanna Penn to play on this week's episode. Now, uh, just as a bit of a, a little bit of primer to the conversation that uh, that I'm going to play you in just a few minutes that I had with Joanna Penn, the uh, technically the second conversation Joanna and I had um, during last week's episode, Joanna and I we talked a little bit about a, a guest post that she'd invited me to write for. Her website, The Creative Pen, back in 2012. Now, at that time, in 2012, uh, she'd send me an email, a very nice email, letting me know that she'd read my novel, Inside the Outside, and uh, that she, you know, she was very kind and very gracious and telling me how much she enjoyed it. And she uh, she wanted me to write a guest post for The Creative Pen. The, the primary connection that Joanna felt with me and my novel was my willingness and uh, and I suppose my ability to write dark fiction. So this was something that Joanna was very fascinated with herself and something she'd been exploring both personally and you know within her own writing. And par uh, part of what she communicated both in 2012 and over the last couple of years that, uh, that Joanna and I have become friends is that she was... She's always been fascinated with dark fiction, and she's enjoyed reading dark fiction. But when it came to actually writing it, when it came to sort of tapping into her own imagination and tapping into, you know, her own, you know, dark corners and, and, and writing about those things, that she was more prone to self-censorship and that she wasn't, she wasn't very comfortable, you know, getting into those things. And so she didn't. And so when she read my book, Inside the Outside, uh, she expressed to me that, you know, that my book was something of an inspiration, that my book sort of 
uh, I guess, in, in some small way, uh, gave her a bit of permission to see to see another writer doing what she wasn't sure she was allowed to do. Essentially, she felt like she could, you know, she could now write this way because, you know, because she saw me do it in Inside the Outside. At any rate, it was it was a huge compliment and it meant an awful lot to me to, to hear her uh, express these ideas. So so at this time in 2012, uh, you know, she wanted me to write a, a blog post specifically about dark fiction and uh, and essentially why I write it, I think. Uh, you'll, you'll have to forgive my memory at this point, but but I know that she wanted the the blog post to be about uh, about dark fiction and and why I write it. I remember I I at least remember that much, and so I was uh, I was thrilled to do it. I was thrilled that she asked me, and I was I was thrilled to be uh, invited to take part in the Creative Pen because it's a great website and I, and, I, and I love reading her articles and. Uh, and I've read many of the guest posts that she's had from from other from other authors, so I was very happy that she was inviting me to be a part of it. But the problem was, I wasn't sure I had anything to say because I, it, true enough, my my novel inside the outside it is very dark fiction, and uh, and true enough, I wrote it. So technically, I wrote this novel of dark fiction. Um, I just wasn't sure. I, I just wasn't sure I had any thoughts on on the issue, if that makes sense. Even though I wrote it, I guess I just didn't really. I didn't really. I hadn't. I'd never really given it much thought, and so because I'd never given it much thought, I, you know, I think I was afraid that if I wrote this guest post, that I might come off as, I don't know, something of a fraud. I guess I did. I. I just I didn't want to sound I, I well first of all I didn't want to fake it I didn't want to just write an article and and fake some some ideas or feelings that that weren't genuine. Um, the only thing I knew for sure is I liked writing dark fiction. I mean, and I mean, I, I still I still love to write dark fiction. Although, uh, just for the sake of saying so, just for the sake of clarity, I don't exclusively write dark fiction. So uh, for, for anybody who's, who's uh, either a fan of the podcast or maybe you're a fan of my writing, uh, in all likelihood, the only thing of mine that you've read is probably Inside the Outside, because outside of a few short stories, Inside the Outside, it's the only, it's the only novel I have published. Um, but my, my upcoming vampire trilogy, which uh, Joanna and I, uh, we, we talked a little bit about, uh, I, I believe in, in both of our conversations uh, on, on last week's episode and the upcoming conversation I'm about to play for you. Uh, we talked about my vampire trilogy and, um, for, well, you know, for those of you, I'm digressing a little bit, but so long as we're here, uh, for those of you who are excited about the vampire trilogy where, or you, you've heard me talk about it or you've seen me write a little bit about it. Uh, I can tell you, I, I can, I can, uh, I, I can throw a few, a few teasers at you that the vampire trilogy it's it's completely done all three books are completely written um uh at the moment as i sit here talking into a microphone uh all three books are uh they are currently with my editor who is proofreading the books to make sure that they are clean and polished and ready to present to you guys uh, I also have a terrifically talented designer. Uh, I'll, I'm, I'm going to keep the details uh, under wraps for now, but you know, when the time comes, I'll, I'm, I'm going to tell you all about uh, who my designer is. But I have a terrifically, terrific, just, just, a, just, basically, I've got this amazing designer who I, I kind of feel like I won the lottery when this gentleman agreed to design my book cover. So I'll tell you about him. Um, you know, down the line once once the books are actually out. So so he's currently working on the designs, the the the, the manuscripts are being proofread. Um, I'm putting all the other pieces in place in terms of you know preparing the books for publication. And uh, in the next couple of months, uh, in the uh, my hope is that in the early parts of 2015, that uh, book one 
of my vampire trilogy will be published and uh, and you'll get to begin this journey that I'm so so very excited for uh for you guys to to read. So anyway, that said, the point that I was going to make, you know, a million hours ago before I digressed is that my vampire trilogy, I wouldn't consider that dark fiction. Um it's it's much lighter in tone than inside the outside. Uh I I think it's 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 lighter, it's it's funnier. Um uh, I think it's going to have a, a broader reach in terms of the people who are going to find it and read it and, and hopefully enjoy it. But that said, for those of you who like uh, who like the darker the darker fiction, I can say that the Vampire Trilogy um, it does explore at least a few dark corners. So for those of you who are a fan of my my darker writing, I don't want you to feel like you're going to be left. Uh, left out. There's definitely going to be some of that stuff in the Vampire Trilogy for you. So anyway, back to this uh, guest post that Joanna asked me to write back in 2012. You know, I liked writing dark fiction. I just wasn't sure I had anything to say about it. Um, and I, I, I knew that, well, I, I I knew when she wanted the article. She'd given me a, a, a deadline, I guess we could call it, as to when she needed the article so she could post it. And I was, I was, completely aware of when this deadline was and I put off the article for as long as I could but I wasn't procrastinating I'd like to be clear on that Um, I was putting it off because I was hoping that at some point I would just be hit with some flash of inspiration as to as to what I should write this article about and then the deadline was getting closer and closer and the flash of inspiration that I was hoping would you know strike me right in the center of my brain never happened so uh so one morning I, I i was up and i was getting ready to uh to go to class because for those of you who might not be aware i'm a college professor so i got up in the morning and i was getting ready to go to class and before i walked out the door i decided let me sit down and just start this article i don't know what i'm going to say but just just let me sit down and start it and uh and hopefully get an idea of you know, what it's ultimately going to be about. And what ended up happening is I, I wrote the entire article in that one sitting, and I wrote it pretty quickly. Like, I didn't labor over it. I didn't uh, struggle with my ideas. It was very much, uh, I, I guess it was sort of a stream of consciousness article. I just I just opened up my head and just, just kind of wrote. Um and then you know I, I I read it a couple of times and and I and I polished it a little bit and I moved some ideas around and then the ideas that came out stream of conscious wise uh, helped help me crystallize some other things that I wanted to talk about and it was all a very very fast process at that point and so then uh, then I sent it off to Joanna and then I then I then I went off to start my day and then and that was that and on March thirtieth two thousand and twelve. Uh, Joanna published my guest post uh, on the Creative Pen. So the article that I that I sent her was titled, or is titled, Violence, Brutality, and Death, Dark Fiction, and Why I Love It. And uh, if you'll bear with me for just a couple of minutes, I thought I'd go ahead and read this to you. So, so this is the article that I wrote for Joanna Penn. I'm a nice guy. I'm polite and cordial. I open doors, I don't litter, and I always remember to say please and thank you. So why, then, am I so drawn to darkness? Whether it's going to the theater to watch the latest horror film, or sitting down with a Cormac McCarthy novel, I find that for as long as I can remember, it's the dark stuff that most engages me. So I suppose it's no coincidence that my debut novel, Inside the Outside, easily falls into the category of dark fiction. It's a coming-of-age story about a teenage cannibal named Timber Marlowe. Timber has spent her whole life growing up in a cult of cannibals in the San Bernardino Mountains, well tucked away from mainstream society. Growing up in this cult, she regularly witnesses violence, sexual aggression, murder, and, of course, cannibalism. The first spark of inspiration I had for this novel came while watching an HBO documentary about the Iceman, Richard Kuklinski, a contract killer who worked for a series of organized crime families in the northeastern United States. 
Kuklinski is a large and menacing man who, between 1948 and 1986, claimed to have murdered over 250 men. And yet, very often during the documentary, he comes off as charming, articulate, and at times sort of funny. I found this larger-than-life character of a man to be equal parts terrifying and amusing, and before the documentary was over, I knew I wanted to try and create a fictional character that could elicit those same feelings in readers. And that's how Timber Marlowe was born. It's worth noting that, in the end, Timber is nothing at all like Kuklinski. She does, however, murder, and often eat, men, and she is, if I've done my job correctly, quite likable. But all of this brings me back to my original question. Why am I drawn to darkness? Why is anybody, for that matter, drawn to darkness? There's a whole host of reasons, I suspect, and I'm certain there are people much smarter than me who can address it in a much more articulate manner. But I will, nonetheless, share a few thoughts of my own. I think the first and possibly most obvious reason is people are consumed by death. The fact that we are mortal, that our time here is finite, haunts us daily. And perhaps the only thing more haunting than the idea that we'll someday die is the fear that we may one day die a brutal, violent, torturous death. Or maybe that's just me. I like to assume that I'll die a peaceful death, old and gray, surrounded by loved ones, satisfied with a life well lived. But the reality is, I could just as easily die by multiple knife wounds to the chest, or a bullet in my brain. I might find myself one day, falsely, I presume, accused of a crime and beaten to death in my prison cell. And nobody in this world can guarantee me that I won't one night wake up to find a hooded man standing over me with a rope in one hand and a machete in the other. So if these ideas, and many others like them, scare the crap out of me, why do I find dark fiction to be so entertaining? The entertainment is the catharsis involved. The ability to give ourselves over to our greatest fears in a safe environment where we know we're not going to die. This point, I believe, is also true for why I write dark fiction, as it gives me an active role in working out some of my own deepest, darkest fears, exercising them on the page, and leaving them to haunt the imaginations of my readers. And while I hope to live a long, healthy life, free of brutality and violence, I will continue to watch films by Wes Craven and David Cronenberg. I will continue to read novels by Chuck Palahniuk and Ron Curry Jr. And I will continue to write stories that explore the darker side of our humanity. And that was the article. I hope you liked it. So anyhow, when Joanna interviewed me for the Creative Pen's YouTube channel, uh, much of our conversation revolved around the topic of dark fiction and why we write it and why it's important not to self-censor yourself in your writing. So, all of that sounds good to you. Then let's move on to my conversation with Joanna Penn on The Creative Pen. everyone, I'm thriller author J.F. Penn and today I'm here with Martin Lestraps. Welcome Martin. Thanks Joanna. It's great to have you on the show. So just as a little introduction, Martin's brilliant debut novel Inside the Outside won the grand prize in the 2012 Paris Book Festival. He also writes short stories, is an English professor and a podcaster and is currently working on a vampire series. So Martin, just to get us started, tell us a bit more about you and your writing background. Well, I, it, it's funny. I've uh, I'm, I'm one of the, I think I'm one of the, uh, the rare writers who hasn't been writing since I was a kid. And, <laughs> I, and I completely, I completely envy those people who started at, at a really young age, even reading. I, uh, I'm almost, I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but I don't mind telling you because we're on the show. I didn't really truly read a novel until I was 18 years old. Mm. And, uh, I mean, when I was a kid, uh, reading and writing, it always came pretty easily to me, but, um, I think because it came easily and because I didn't really have any context for it, I just figured it was easy for everybody. So I never I never put any thought into it. I never put any investment into it. 
And it wasn't until I was uh, 18 years old, it was my, my first year in college, and uh, I think it was actually my very first semester, my first English professor I had written a paper for, and she was the first person really in like my whole life that said, you're pretty good at this, you should think about doing this. And it felt so good to be good at something, <laughs> and to have, somebody, <laughs> to have somebody say that you should follow this, that that's kind of all I needed to hear. And then just purely by happenstance, that same semester in a separate class, uh, it was actually a history class. It wasn't even an English class, but I had to read the The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. And if I was gonna, if I was gonna try to encourage somebody to love reading, I, I went. That's like the last book I would send them to. <laughs> but for whatever reason, <laughs> I, I can't explain why. Mm. But for whatever reason, I finished that book in three days. I'd never finished a novel before. I totally got it. I totally loved reading. And so, in this very short span of time. Uh, I found out that uh, I might be an all right writer and I really love reading. And so because it happened at that same time, from that point forward, uh, I kind of uh, began my journey. And then uh, in terms of being a reader, I feel like I've been trying to catch up with everybody ever since. So I read all the time now, but no matter how many books I finish, I feel like I'm you know 18 years behind everybody else. And, and so well, that's really interesting. So you didn't really have those sort of teenage influences you know a lot of people who write yeah. I guess you, you write literary horror uh, I suppose but yeah. you know I would have thought you'd have had this background in like comics and stuff <laughs> like that oh well, you know okay that's uh, that's the one thing that I can say that I do is a uh, uh when I was a kid I loved comic books but mm. even comic books I never uh I never thought of that as reading because I loved the pictures in fact I thought I was going to be a comic book artist for pretty much my my whole life until I was in high school and it wasn't until I figured out that, uh, I mean, nobody told me, but I, in my own head, I was like, I don't think I'm going to make a living at this. I better <laughs> figure something else out. Like, I was better than the other kid in my class, but, you know, if I was going to actually try to make a career of it. But anyway, uh, I left comic books, and, and I mean, I read the words in them, and I knew that there were mm. stories, but as silly as it sounds, it never occurred to me that there was a writer involved. Like, I just figured mm. there was like an artist drawing pictures, and then some story kind of unfolded. So even when I was reading comic books, I never thought I like stories and I like, you know, writing. I just thought, you know, I like uh, pictures. I love movies, though. Movies, comic books, uh, mm. professional wrestling. I, I still love. And I uh, uh, I always I always give it credit for for sort of informing a lot of my storytelling sensibilities, because it's, it's sort of silly and campy and, and uh, crazy as it can be. <laughs> There's uh, at its core the, it it, uh, it 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 uses a lot of storytelling elements that, without realizing it as a kid, I was kind of absorbing. And even now, when I write a book, sometimes I'll find myself reflecting on a particular wrestling match or a particular feud with a good guy and a bad guy, and it sort of helps me <laughs> tell the stories I want to tell. Oh, well, that's really cool. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And I mean, what you're talking about there, like wrestling and stuff, that's <laughs> a lot a long way from inside the outside, which, <laughs> yes. which you know, as I said, just said to you before we started recording, I read a few years ago, and it's still one of the books that sticks in my mind that's as really kind of you to say as as original and and interesting. So it's, you know, about a girl who's part of this cannibal cult yeah. in America. <laughs> yes. um, that's all one really needs to say about it. But <laughs> Um, so what what was the inspiration behind the book? Uh, there's probably maybe, if I really thought about it, there's maybe like two or three different inspirations. Uh, but I can start with the, the first one, because this is the first kind of ceiling that I remember. Uh, like, I've been, I've been a vegetarian for about, um, oh goodness, close to 15 years. Not quite, but really close to 15 years. And so when I when I first kind of became a vegetarian, it was when I was still in college and I took I took this course and to this day I can't remember the name of the course so I just think of it as the vegetarian course but we learned a lot about um I think we were learning about like agriculture and, and farming and things of that nature and the purpose of the class wasn't to you know turn out vegetarians I just remember being like really affected by this stuff uh, you know the literature we were reading but uh, specifically I remember uh reading about you know, uh, certain you know certain types of uh, farms where certain uh, abuses happen to, to animals when they're not properly you know farmed, and I was really affected by it. And it was, for me, it was almost like reading a horror novel. And I thought this this would be interesting, except I can't imagine anybody really caring about a, a novel about farms unless like it's, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that was my only catch. I was like, well, this, this it feels like there's something here. Because it's dramatic to me and it's kind of scary to me, but it's, yeah, I don't know if anybody else would care. And also about the same time I was, I was, um, cause I was an English major. So I was getting comfortable with the idea of, uh, of allegory. I think I just kind of learned about allegories and 
uh, again, I, I, I chalk that up to being a late bloomer. I'm sure there's a lot of writers who, you know, <laughs> learned that in grade school or something. But I was learning about allegories and this idea that, you know, you can write one story and it kind of represents something else. And so then I was like, well, you know, animals, maybe not, maybe they're not interesting, but you know, what if they were people? So what if I had like, like a people farm and then all the stuff that I'm reading about animals, you know, they were happening to, to people. And then that sort of became like the first seedling of an idea. And then by the time it evolved into the book, you eventually read that, you know, it wasn't a people farm. It became, you know, a cult. But that was like the first idea of having like people and cannibals and uh, kind of eating each other. The uh, the other primary inspiration comes from a, uh, well, technically it comes from a documentary, but specifically it's uh, uh, the really famous uh, mafia hitman, or infamous, I should say, uh, the, the Iceman, Richard Kuklinski. And um, uh, he was, HBO did a three-part documentary on him probably about 15, 20 years ago. And he's this really terrifying guy who, you know, before he ever worked for the mafia and was, you know, killing people for money, he says that he killed probably like maybe 100, 200 people just because, you know, he's like just not a nice person. And then uh, eventually, uh, I guess in the in the northeastern uh, portion of the United States, uh, some of the organized crime people caught wind of him. I, I don't know if you it almost felt like he was like this amateur athlete in the pros, like saw what he was doing and. And they said, you know, would you like to kill people for us? And, you know, we'll, we'll pay you for it. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that's probably what the conversation sounded like. And, uh, and so, he, uh, so he did. So he became uh, this mafia hitman, and, uh, and, he, and he killed maybe another two or 300 people before he was eventually caught by, uh, you know, the authorities. So while he was in prison, HBO did this documentary on him. And so I remember watching the documentary. And the third part of the documentary, it's uh, the Iceman and the psychiatrist. And he's basically sitting down with a, an FBI psychiatrist type person who sort of analyzes criminals and the idea was to kind of you know get into his brain and kind of figure out why he was doing the things he was doing and one of the most fascinating things about the documentary to me was he was for long stretches when he's talking he was kind of charming he was sort of likable and if he wasn't talking about his crimes you would almost completely forget that he'd done these awful things until he would remind you there's actually there's a part of the documentary where he literally says uh, you know, people are people watching this. They're going to get the wrong idea. They're going to think that I'm a nice guy when really I'm like the, I'm the last person you'd ever want to meet. And I was so struck by that that, that, that to have this person who, as I was watching it, I genuinely did kind of like him because I was forgetting that he did these awful things. And then I thought if I could somehow capture that, I don't know if I can, but if I could capture that in a story, a, a, a killer of some sort who does really bad things unapologetically, but still make the reader like them. I might be onto something. And so mm. then at some point down the road, I merged those two ideas of having a likable character who does bad things and this sort of cannibal story and eventually came up with uh, what would become inside the outside. Mm. No, it is, it is brilliant. And, and so why did you make the main character a girl? That was, uh, it's, uh, let me think. I was about to say it was sort of like I'm avoiding the word marketing because I because I don't want to sound like it was like a shallow decision, <laughs> <laughs> but I was I was specifically aware in the initial the initial idea I thought she was going to be a serial killer that was my original thought and so when she was going to be a serial killer I was thinking you know there's not there's not a lot of like iconic female serial killers so yeah. just for the purpose of you know and and again I was rolling the dice and hoping hoping that I was going to nail this character and if I did people might really remember her. Um, and so in that case, if I, if I make her a woman, then, you know, then she would stand out against, mm. you know, what's normally a larger uh, crop of male serial killers. And again, you know, since, uh, since you were kind enough to read the book, as you know, she ultimately wasn't a serial killer. She's still a killer, um, but she wasn't a serial killer, but that's, that was how she kind of became a woman or mm. a, a young girl, really teenager. Yeah. Yeah. Teenager. Well, and then it's interesting because her name is Timber, which, <laughs> yes. um, which is a great name. And I do the same thing. Like my women are called Morgan and Jamie, both of which the names can be masculine or feminine. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I think that you've got the same vibe. You've got a, you know, clearly a girl, but still you've got the ma- some masculine elements, which I think comes yeah. across in. I don't know if you even thought about no, that. No, but... I was going to. Well, that's a great observation. I'll start taking credit for it now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, it is it is interesting. And and what do you think about genre in terms of obviously it, you've won awards, you're a literary writer, but this yeah. is, I, I mean, this is literary horror. I mean, it's really oh, it is horror, yeah. right? Oh yeah, yeah, it's definitely horror. 
you know, in terms of genre, I, I, well, I think I have mixed feelings. On the one hand, I love genre stories, I, you know, especially when I go to the movies. Uh, I, I love watching horror movies. I love watching sci-fi movies. Uh, I love supernatural stuff. Uh, when it comes to books, ironically, I, I, I don't, I don't want to say that I pay less attention to genre, but I kind of do a little bit. When it comes to books, I, I fall in love with 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 authors and their voices and, and and their prose. But if there's a really cool genre in there, I'm also happy to read it. Uh, I, I know that in the, uh, I, I know that there's some people out in 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 the in the publishing you know landscape. They you know they might thumb their nose a little bit of genre fiction or they might say well you know it's genre fiction that's that's fine over there but you know the the serious stuff the literary stuff you know that's that's what we're doing over here so let's let's kind of keep these two guys apart and so for me I've always been of the of the kind of of the viewpoint of um I I mean I want to be the best writer I can in terms of you know and in terms of the words on the page I like I like endeavoring to be a, a literary type author whether or not I succeed at it that's for someone else to decide but but I do endeavor to sort of do that because a lot of my favorite writers especially when I was uh, studying English and discovering writers that I'd never heard of they were these literary writers so so on the one hand when I was in college I was studying and learning and analyzing writing papers about these literary authors but in terms of my imagination the stuff that grabbed me were comic books and science fiction and horror movies mm. and Freddy Krueger and, and Jason and things of this nature. So when it came for time for me to actually write stories, I think I kind of had this, academically speaking, I had this literary background, but in terms of the stories I wanted to tell, they kind of came from the world of genre. And mm. and, and, and I can tell you, and I don't mind admitting this to you, that uh, early on in my college career, when I was also thinking about, when it, when it was starting to become, seem like a possibility that I could be an author and maybe this is something I could do with myself, I think because the only, the only, stories really that I saw in college were again these like literary short stories these literary novels and so I was thinking to myself well I mean I like stories about you know cannibals and vampires and things of this nature but I guess if I'm ever going to be taken seriously I've got to write this literary stuff so mm. so a lot of my early writing was me trying to write this serious literary stuff that I, I never felt completely comfortable writing it but I, mm. I figured you know I guess this is this is what you do and the thing that changed everything for me um uh, in fact, you could probably draw a line in the sand when I finally sort of the light bulb went off. And it was one of the best days of my life was when I was in college and it was a literature class. And I think the first story we uh, we read was The Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. And of mm. course, the first line, I mean, it's translated, so it probably changes from whatever translation. But, you know, Gregor Samsa awoke one morning uh, after a, a night of, you know, fitful dreams. You know, to find that he was a giant cockroach. I already messed up the first line. <laughs> But I remember reading that first line, and because I was so used to this literary stuff, I'm thinking, oh, this must be some sort of a grand metaphor that he felt like a cockroach. <laughs> and then I kept reading on, and I was like, oh, my God, he's actually, this is a story about a guy who turned into a cockroach, and we're reading it in these classes where I assume that that you can't you can't write this stuff. That That's the sort of stuff that I would want to write, but I didn't think I was allowed to. And so that's, that's the only permission I needed was like, all right, so it's a story, he turned into a cockroach. And I get to write papers about it and talk about it like I'm pretending to be smart. So, <laughs> and so that for me that gave me permission. And, yeah. and really, in a lot of ways, inside the outside, it was kind of spawned from that inspiration that you can take a, a crazy far out story, but you can present it in a in a literary fashion. And and again, you know, somebody else can read inside the outside and not get any literary you know voice from it at all and i'm fine with that you know as long as they enjoyed it well even if they enjoyed it if they read yeah. it <laughs> i don't know where we draw the line on that what, what's so interesting so you you are now a professor <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> so, I, uh, what, what are you teaching as a professor <laughs> i actually so i teach uh primarily i teach compos english composition so i teach uh we focus on like critical thinking and as you're writing essays and, and research papers and uh i i tend to think of it as and I, I I probably shouldn't say this on the record, but whatever. I, I tend to think of it as the boring writing, but but mm. the important writing. It's the very functional, you know, uh, you know, developing a, a thesis statement and being able to you know uh, gather your thoughts and do research. And and so it's so it's the sort of writing that I'm capable of doing. Uh, and it and, and I understand how how to teach it and, and teach those sort of writing elements to students. Mm. But you know, when it comes to the writing that I'm passionate about, uh, you know, I would much rather be telling stories about vampires and cannibals and. 
Yeah. So, well, then in, in coming back to the vampires, so your series that you're working on yes. next is vampires, right? Tell oh, us I, a bit about that. Yeah. So I'm really excited about it. So it's a it's it's a trilogy, and uh, it's the the first book in the trilogy. Uh, the first book in the trilogy. Pardon me. It's still early here in Southern California. <laughs> uh, it's called The Vampire, The Hunter, and the Girl, and it's about a vampire, a hunter, and a girl. So I figured it's, it's an easy title in that way. But um, uh, at this point, and, and I'll talk about the story in just a second, but at this point, uh, I've actually written all three books in the trilogy. So all three books are done. Uh, they're currently uh, in the process of being sort of uh, proofread and, and, and beta read, and eventually I'll pass them on to an editor. Uh, but the idea was I wanted all three books done. So once I put the first book out, then in a relatively short period of time, I could put out the second book and then the third book. Right now, the idea is I want to put all three books out inside of a 12-month uh, window. Uh, but but the, originally I, uh, the original idea was I was just going to write one novel because I, I, I'm a huge fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And uh, vampires in general, I think I've always been fascinated with. But Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, really captured my imagination, again, in terms of... Uh, storytelling and sort of taking you know, you know even though it's a television show you know it's it's a it's a genre series you know kind of horror sci-fi fantasy kind of camp and telling these you know really brilliant stories in some cases some allegorical stories stories with these really you know clever metaphors but on the surface you're getting you know vampires and demons and you know things of this nature and i really loved that idea and so for years and years, even before I wrote Inside the Outside, I was always telling myself, you know, one of these days I'm going to write a vampire story. I just didn't have an idea. But I was like, you know, if I can ever get an idea, I really want to write a vampire story. Mm. And so what actually happened towards the end of me working on Inside the Outside, because uh, basically my writing process is once I write a, a draft of a novel, I'll set it aside for maybe like a month, month and a half, maybe two months that way I can come back to it with, you know, fresh eyes. It looks like somebody else's work and it's easier for me to to kind of edit and, you know, uh, revise. But in the meantime, I don't want to stop writing because I don't want my writing muscles to atrophy. So I was like, well, let me just start working on something. So I, so I started rapping away at a, at a vampire novel. I didn't have a, an idea yet. I just figured this might turn into nothing. I just want to write something. And so I kind of started there. That was probably around 2008-ish, something like mm. that. And then once Inside the Outside was completely done and, and published and out in the world and it was time to start a new project, uh, I kind of picked up this vampire ID and I started kind of working from there. And I was just going to write one novel, which I did. And But once I finished the first draft, it was so much longer than I anticipated it was going to be that I thought this it might not be a bad idea just to split this book up. So then I, because it was already naturally in three parts, so I broke up the three parts, went back and then revised each part to make it its, its own novel and then uh, sort of at this point in, in 2014, uh, hopefully I'm a few months away from putting a book one out. Now, in terms mm. of what the story's about, uh, it's uh, primarily what it is. We have a, uh, well, we have a vampire. Uh, uh, we have a vampire hunter. His name is Jesus. I call him Jesus the Mexican Vampire Hunter. Oh, uh, okay. We have a vampire. His name is Adam. And then we have a girl. Her name is Olivia. And it's it, it uh, sort of starts out with a love triangle, so you've got the, the vampire and the vampire hunter, and the, you know they both love the same girl, who in this case is Olivia. And Olivia, you know, she's you know she's not a, she's not a malicious person. She's just found herself that you know she she likes this vampire and this vampire hunter. Now I have these two guys who, um, you know, they're natural enemies. You know, we got the vampire and the vampire hunter, but they're also enemies in love because they're competing, you know, for the same girl. And uh, and sort of through conventions of the story, uh, the girl's life is put in grave danger. And the only way to save her is this vampire and this vampire hunter. They they have to sort of they have to team up if in fact they want to save this girl that they both love. So they have to figure out a way to put their differences aside to to try and rescue uh, the girl that they love. And of course, uh, the crux of it is even if they successfully save her, at the end of the day, she can really only choose one of them. Mm. Uh, and so that that story takes place over the course of three books. Uh, if it sounds vague, of course, as an author, you can imagine I was trying to hold back as many details as I could. But still, <laughs> you know, but that's yeah. but but, uh, but that that becomes uh, the story for for the trilogy. And I'm terribly excited about it. No, it sounds great. And you've got a short story, haven't you, about Jesus, the vampire hunter? Yeah. So what I did, I had this idea about a year, year and a half ago, uh, you know, the 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 when, you know, wearing my publisher hat. Um, cause you know, cause, uh, cause I'm a, a you know, similar to, to yourself, I'm a, a independent publisher. So a lot of the, a lot of what I do is, is 
try to think like an entrepreneur and try to figure out how best to sort of market myself and how best to make people aware of what I'm, what I'm doing. And so when Inside the Outside, after it came out, uh, and as you were kind enough to mention, it's, you know, it's enjoyed some success and it's won some awards. My, I started to get this anxiety of, you know, uh, people are, they seem to be enjoying my book and mm-hmm. they seem to know my name, but my next project's not done yet. And so there was this anxiety of like, you know, they're going to forget who I am. They're going to forget that they enjoyed my book. By the time this vampire book comes out, I'm going to have to start from scratch. So then I thought, well, maybe as a as a nice bridge, even though the book's not done, I do have these first two chapters, and I and I feel like they're good enough that I could show them to people. So I've got uh, these two shorts. The first one is called Adam and Olivia, so that's the vampire and the girl, respectively. And the second short is Jesus the Mexican Vampire Hunter. And essentially, those were the first two chapters of uh, of the novel, so I figured I'll put these out as shorts. And if people, you know, hopefully people will discover them. In the very front, I, I, I put a note that lets them know these are actually the first two chapters of a, of a, of a forthcoming novel. So then that way, mm. if they like the shorts, they'll know about the novel. And so the idea was to, to kind of bridge them. Consequently, now that the book is almost done, I've revised them enough that they're not exactly the first two chapters. But either way, if somebody read those two, bo- uh, those two shorts, and, th- and they're pretty short. They're like 99 cents on, uh, on Amazon or I think they're on Amazon.com, mm. yeah. You can read those and get a nice, you know, kind of get your, uh, it's it's kind of like a nice uh, appetizer to kind of prepare you for what the book is going to sound like. And in terms of tone, uh, again, for anybody who's read Inside the Outside, uh, Inside the Outside, by its design, it's sort of, it's 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 very kind of dark and, and mm. gritty and kind of moody. And once I finished it, and uh, and I'm very proud of Inside the Outside, and I loved the, the process of writing it, but once I was done, I felt like I'd spent so many years in this really dark, <laughs> gritty <try>. place. <laughs> That, uh, that I wanted to write something, I, I needed to write something light just, just to feel better. So my vampire novel, uh, it it does have elements of horror. And, uh, and for, you know, so you will see that, but it's a much, it, it's a much, it's a much lighter book than Inside the Outside. There's a lot more comedy than Inside the Outside. Uh, there's a lot more uh, funny, sort of joyful, it, it's a more joyful book. And again, I say that not meaning to despair Inside the Outside at all, because the book it is, I'm very proud of it, but... Tone-wise, the vampire book is going to be uh, completely different. There will be plenty of tension and and and, and scares and and horror and and violence because I because you know uh, my readers. I, I, you Let's know, hope they, we do. <laughs> but it's also going to be a lot lighter. Uh, in fact, I think a, a lot of my influence from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, influence and inspiration, I think, kind of found its way into the vampire trilogy. Mm. Oh no, that sounds that sounds brilliant. And then and then coming back to Inside the Outside, I wondered because when I read that, I think. That book really helped me. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it really helped me stop self-censoring. And I wondered whether you've ever struggled with self-censorship and, uh, you know, whether there were things when you were writing and you thought, should I write this? You know, <laughs> will people think I'm completely wrong <laughs> in some way or, you know, too dark or, you know, have, have you, did you go through those thoughts? Absolutely, without question. Uh, particularly with Inside the Outside, I, I absolutely went through struggling with this idea of self-censorship. Because as you said, like on the one hand, uh, and, and I imagine there's a lot of authors who could probably relate to this, mm. but I know that there's, you know, you can a lot of authors, they'll reach a point where they're writing about something and they're going to have that thought of, if I write this, people that read it will know that I think these things. Mm. Uh, or they'll th- or, if, or if you write about, you know, uh, if, if, you're, if you're writing about a particular type of, music or a particular type of uh nightclub or something of that nature and you're and, and they and they worry because you know i don't want people to think that i go to these places i don't want people to think i do these things but i want to tell this story so i'm not going to write that because you know i don't want people to know that i know that word so i'm not, I'm not going to use that word um so i i had all those same thoughts uh mm-hmm. in, in terms of um inside the outside well actually you know i'll, I'll go back one one story before that to really kind of give you an idea of, of what helps me out a lot it was it was again when I was in college. I was I was fortunate that a lot of my epiphanies came out while I was in school, and I was taking a. It was a creative writing class, but it was ultimately like a memoir class. It was a creative nonfiction class, and uh, and so the professor, his name is James Brown. He's a brilliant uh, writer, brilliant uh, memoirist. I wrote a wonderful memoir called The Los Angeles Diaries. I would recommend anybody read it. And so at the beginning of the uh, the, the beginning of the course. Uh, he told us to, um, you know, privately on a piece of paper, write down uh, just three or four notes of things that have happened in your life that you would never, ever want anybody to know about. So then we did that. 
And then so we did, once we did that, he said, okay, so for, for this class, I would, I would challenge you to take one of those stories and write about it because we're going to workshop it in this class. So take a story you want nobody to hear about, write it, and then you workshop it with us. And, of course, <laughs> <laughs> and so, of course, I was like, I don't want to do that any more than anybody else in the class wanted to do it. But then I thought, you know, I'm trying to learn how to be a writer. I should really challenge myself. So let me go ahead and do it. So, um, so I wrote this story. Uh, I won't go into too much <laughs> detail. Yeah. It's a little bit embarrassing. Uh, but, but, you know, at the very least, it was a story that was, it was about the first time that, uh, that I went to a, a strip club to, to, pay, to, to you know, to, to, to pay money to sit by a stage and watch women take their clothes off. And it, it was, you know, I was 19 and it was a very embarrassing story. But I figured I'm going to go ahead and write about this. And then I wrote about it and then I turned it in. And then after I turned it in, I was like, oh, my God, what was I thinking? <laughs> and, then, and then and so then when I showed it for my day to workshop in class, I remember, you know, everybody, every student that showed up to class, I remember looking at them just thinking, oh, they know. Oh, my God, he knows. She knows. Oh, this is so embarrassing. Why did I do this? You know, and I, and, and, you know, I was like, I was, I think I was literally shaking in my desk. I was like, why did I do this? This is so stupid. I should have just made up some stupid, stupid story about my first day of first grade or something. Uh, but then the most amazing thing happened was that uh, the students, they really loved the story. Nobody made me feel uh, embarrassed. Nobody made me feel uncomfortable. They were very complimentary of it. And in fact, there was at least two or three other students in the classroom that, you know, thought my experience was so funny because they were like, that same thing happened to me. I can't believe it happened to somebody else. And that was that was a really important light bulb moment for me, which was, you know, if you're willing to be honest and not censor yourself, more likely than not, other people are going to get it. They're going to enjoy it. And they're just going to appreciate the honesty and so I figured the same thing's got to be true for fiction, even though I'm writing about stuff that didn't happen to me. I've never been a cannibal. I've never been <laughs> in a cult, you know. But if I write about this as honestly as I can, I think people will respond to that. Now, in terms of, I think what you're, what you're probably talking about almost more specifically, maybe like the violence, because Inside mm-hmm. the Outside is extremely violent. And one story I can tell you about that is the uh, the, the very first scene, because it takes place in a cult, they have these ritual sacrifices. Uh, so the there's only one really detailed graphic uh, sacrifice scene in the book, but that particular scene I remember writing it and thinking, you know, I want to paint this picture as clearly as I can, and I want to sort of illustrate the the kind of horror mm-hmm. and the violence involved. And so I and I was I remember as I was sort of imagining it and writing, sort of you know, so my imagination was about five or six seconds ahead of my you know my fingers on the keyboard, and then I reached a point uh, I forget exactly what it was, but I reached a point of violence in the scene where I stopped typing mm. and I thought, well, I can't write that. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Oof. No, no, no. Let me, let me not write that. And then almost as soon as I had the thought, I thought, well, you know what? I just had the thought and it made me uncomfortable. So mm. if it made me uncomfortable, then maybe I should write it. Cause it's not, I'm not trying to gross people out just for the sake of making them uncomfortable. But if I had an idea that made me feel that so strongly, I had to stop typing. I think I owe it to myself to put this in the book and sort of, you know, offer that to the readers. And, you know, mm-hmm. consequently, I mean, there's been, uh, you know, readers like yourself who've uh, been really kind in, in terms of uh, how, you, how you've spoken about the novel. Uh, and there's, I, I've heard from, you know, plenty of other folks who were completely put off by the violence and, and they didn't enjoy it. And I can, yeah, whatever, I, I can live with that. Mm-hmm. But, but that said, I, I wouldn't change it at all. And I would definitely, um, uh, and I would even encourage any writer who might be listening to this that, you know, to, to not censor yourself. And if you do find yourself, you know, not wanting to write something, but if you're personally affected by it, you might very well owe it to yourself to keep that in the story. Cause I mean, it means that you stumbled onto something powerful and you'd be cheating mm. yourself and probably the, the, the reader for not including it. Yeah. And it's good to hear. And, you know, I, I had the same thing with desecration and it all stemmed from the, a feeling of being very uncomfortable with human body parts in a anatomy (laughs) museum. And I was like, why do I feel so disturbed by these, these body parts? You know, why, why is that when I know they're not human, you know, (laughs) anymore? I mean, they are human, but they're not alive. You know, why do we get so squeamish about dead bodies? And I mean, in, in a way like your ritual after they're dead, they're just meat you know yeah. you know why 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 is it so disturbing you know and it, it it's so fascinating to explore those darker things but one of the, the questions I had for you was so I started off writing desecration feeling very disturbed and as I wrote about it 
that feeling went away. And of course, the people reading it feel disturbed. Yeah. But do you, <laughs> yes. do you think do you think we somehow inoculate ourselves I think to so. it by uh, yeah. writing it? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I think you said it much better than I could, because I, w- with Inside the Outside, by the time I'd gotten to, say, maybe the third or fourth draft, basically when it was almost done, I'd spent so much time with it. Mm. And and basically, I was the only one reading it. I don't know if there's more than two people walking the earth at the time who really had seen any of it. So so for all intents and purposes, I was the only buddy. I was the only person sort of living in this world. So I'd been there for so many years that I would go back to to, to the cult and I would write these violent scenes or I would read about them, and they would have no effect on me. I you know when I talked about that that early draft and I and I and I felt that powerful thing of like oh I can't write that that was completely gone. And and I'd become so, as you said, inoculated. That's a great word. I, I'm going to start using that today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that uh, that I, I completely took for granted how dark it was and how you know violent yeah. it was. And it wasn't until you know the uh, I, th- I think maybe I remember my first uh, the first uh, beta reader that I, that I'd asked to take a look at it. Um, uh, a, a very nice woman, another wonderful writer. Her name is S. K. Murphy. Really wonderful writer, and she was. I, she was probably disturbed because I remember, her, I remember, I, I I recall her trying to be, I feel like she was trying to be as polite as she could, but trying to figure out like, you know, where the hell did this story come from and why is it so dark and violent? And she was actually the first person that even referenced it as horror because I was so removed from the violence. I wasn't thinking of it as a horror story. I was just thinking of it as this, this sort of literary story about this girl and, and this cult completely took for granted how, how violent it was. So, so I think there is something that, you know, you know, once we start writing these stories, maybe initially, you know, maybe it does start with some seedling of being sort of disturbed or scared, but at some point when we start writing the story, it kind of goes away. And actually I wonder, uh, and I'll kind of ask you about this, if you don't mind, just get your thoughts on it. One of my anxieties when, when that happens to me is, you know, once I get into the second, third, fourth draft, uh, all the surprises are no longer surprising. All the all the violence has sort of, you know, become mundane because I've seen it so many times. So one of my concerns is, what if it's not violent? Or what if it's not scary? What if I just assume that I've, that I, you know, that I've gotten used to it, then I give it to the, uh, to the readers, and they're not any more disturbed by, well, not that I want to disturb readers, but I don't mind if they get disturbed. <laughs> but, uh, but do you find that that, does that happen to you where, you know, you know, like you, you're going for something. You 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 want to tap into a reader's imagination. You want them to feel something. Generally disturbed, scared, mm. something. Uh, but then there is that concern. I wonder if you feel that as well. As you know, what if what if this isn't nearly as uh, interesting or disturbing as as I as I thought it was? Mm. No, I know what you mean, and I think I think interesting is is a better word. Um, you know, because I think looking for those things that are on the edge of yeah. something. Um, you know, that's what I'm looking for as well. And and I do uh, exactly what you say. I think that inoculation happens, and then uh, yeah, everything you read loses its power. Like yeah. I don't read novels again. You know, I don't reread novels yeah. Yeah. Um, in general. I've read The Stand by Stephen King a couple of times, right. um, but you know, generally I don't reread. But we, of course we have to reread our own books exactly, exactly. <laughs> over and over again <laughs> but um but no that's interesting and then a sort of follow-up question with that um because yeah. I get asked quite a lot you know what's a nice girl like you doing with such a dark <laughs> little mind and I mean you're you know you're a happy guy you yeah. laugh a lot you know you're you're you look lovely you don't look like a Awfully psycho kind of you to say. <laughs> <laughs> so do you you know do you get that question and what do you say <laughs> I, I absolutely do especially when somebody meets me in person or if I'm doing a if I'm doing a, a speaking engagement for for some or a book signing or something of that nature uh I, I think I think a lot of folks are they're generally surprised to find out that I'm the person who who wrote this book that potentially had given them nightmares or kept them up at night and you know I, in terms of answering the question I you know I think to a, to a large degree I I I don't think I ever really know what to tell them. I I, I think um I have thought about it though, and uh, I the the best answer I can come up with, or at least the answer that makes the most sense to me, is I know that, you know, like I know would say for instance like with comedians, uh, some of the most successful comedians in the world, uh, they come from very dark backgrounds. Whether it was you know they came mm-hmm. from an abusive home or you know their their parents were arguing or they got beat up as a kid or there's a lot of darkness in their background. And they and so I think, you know, so a lot of the, their comedy comes from compensating for that darkness. 
So on my end, uh, I, I've, I'm one of the more fortunate people that I think I know that I had a, a terrific childhood and my parents were great and mm. Christmas was nice and, uh, and, and a lot of really nice things happened to me <laughs> growing up. And so I think uh, a lot of people who sort of dip into darkness, it's almost kind of that opposite thing that because, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's, I don't even think it's me trying to compensate like, oh, my childhood was too happy. Let me write something really bad. But I think, you know, I think if you if you come from a sort of a dark uh, background, you're not interested in exploring that darkness. Uh, mm-hmm. You'd rather explore something lighter and funnier. Where I think, you know, in my case, because, you know, my life is generally uh, happy and I enjoy, you know, talking and laughing with people that uh, going into, you know, exploring these dark corners in my imagination and in stories is really interesting and, and appealing to me. Mm, no, great answer. I'm going to use that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's all yours. I, yeah, well, because I'm I'm the same. I come from a very happy, you know, my parents got divorced, but who who didn't, you right. know. But other than that, I have this great life. I'm really a happy, happy person. And <laughs> yet I find myself writing dark things. So, no, that's yeah. great. Well, it's been so good to talk to you. So tell us, where can people find you and your books online? Uh, so they can find, uh, they can get more information on me. They can go to my website, martinlessdraps.com. Uh, also, if they're interested, they can check out my podcast. They could go to the website, martinlessdrapsshow.com. They can also subscribe to the show on iTunes. It's on, uh, they can also listen on Stitcher Radio. Uh, and so from either one of those websites, you can, uh, you can click on the shop page and you can see, uh, you can see my, you know, my titles. Uh, as far as going uh, finding my titles, you can find them on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble. You can buy the ebook on the, in the iTunes bookstore if you like. Uh, those are probably the, the the three main places you can get the book. And then of course, martinlessdraps.com if you can make it easy on yourself. And then the podcast, the Martinless Strap Show Podcast Hour, which they can find on martinlessdrapshow.com. Brilliant! Thanks so much for your time, Martin. Oh, thanks so much, Joanna. This was a it was, it was truly an honor, and I mean that. There you have it. I sure hope you enjoyed that. I enjoyed listening to it all over again. Uh, but really, I just uh, I, I just enjoy listening to Joanna and uh, and just listening to my conversation with Joanna just now, along with you guys, was just a reminder of what a pleasant experience that was to to be able to talk with her for a couple of hours. In terms of chronology, uh, you might be interested to know that the particular conversation that we just listened to, uh, that conversation actually took place before the conversation that you heard last week on the podcast. So uh, again, a few months back uh, when Joanna and I, you know, when we when we scheduled some time to sit down and have this conversation, because again, you know, Joanna is, uh, she's terribly busy doing a whole number of things. You know, that's part of being a, part of being a successful entrepreneur as she is. She's extremely busy, so so we scheduled our conversation months in advance, and uh, and you know I'm a I'm a pretty busy guy myself, so we found you know uh, we 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 scheduled two hours basically to sit down and talk, and during those two hours we knew that part of the conversation was going to be for her show, part of the conversation was going to be for my show, and uh, we didn't quite flip a coin, but. You know, we we essentially just said, okay, the first the first part of a conversation, that's going to be for the creative pen, and then the second part, that's going to be for the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour. Uh, and as it worked out, in terms of you know my podcast, you heard the second part of the conversation first, and just now you heard the first part of the conversation last. I realize as I finished giving you all those details, I I have no idea if that's the least bit interesting, but whatever. I've, I've just finished talking about it. So, uh, I hope, <laughs> I hope that meant something to you, I guess. And, uh, at any rate, even though we had these, technically we had these two separate conversation, it really was just one solid, you know, we, one, one continuous conversation for, you know, almost two solid hours. Although we actually did, we did technically take a break in between the two conversations, like literally like a three or four minute break so Joanna could go uh, make herself a, a fresh cup of tea and I could sort of prepare myself for the for, for the interview that you guys heard last week. At any rate, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed both parts. And uh, and again, uh, for any new listeners who, who joined me here for the last two weeks, 
Uh, because you're a fan of Joanna Penn, I want to thank you guys so much for checking out my podcast. And I sincerely hope you stick around and, and keep listening for weeks and months and years to come. And in the meantime, I, I invite you to go back and listen to some of my older episodes, especially if you enjoyed especially if you enjoyed my conversation with Joanna Penn. Um, and if what you enjoyed about my conversation with Joanna Penn was uh, was us talking about writing and publishing and storytelling and things of that nature, uh, I have a whole series of conversations uh, that I've had with authors over the last uh, year or so that I think you'll enjoy. You should definitely go back and listen to them. I also I've, I've had conversations with uh, with professional wrestlers and and actors and comedians and. Uh, uh, family members and, and just generally interesting people that uh, I think you would enjoy. So so I hope you go back and listen to, to the old episodes and stick around for the newer episodes. And uh, for any of you listening, if you have any shopping to do, I I, I, uh, I would I would recommend you go to Amazon.com because Amazon.com, they're going to have everything, anything that you need, you're going to find on Amazon, Amazon.com. And if you do shop on Amazon.com, and you're a fan of the Marginless Trap Show Podcast Hour, uh, I would highly encourage you to go to the official website of this podcast, which you'll find at martinlestrapshow.com. Go to the shop page, click on the Amazon banner, and then do your shopping. And what, what happens when you do that is any shopping that you do on Amazon.com, having clicked through the banner, uh, Amazon will kick back a few pennies our way. Basically, they kick back a percentage of any money you spend. So there's no hidden costs. You don't get charged anything extra. Just, you know, you do the same shopping, you get charged uh, the same prices. And then Amazon, you know, uh, as a, as a, you know, as a reward, I guess, for sending you their way via the Marginless Trap Show podcast hour, they kick back a few pennies our way. And then what we get to do here at the show, we get to reinvest that money end of this podcast to, to make this program as good as we can possibly make it for you. And that's exactly what we want to do week after week after week. Also, uh, the show uh, the show is available on iTunes. Many of you already know that, but I have to imagine that many of you are not aware of that. So what you should do, especially if you enjoy the show, go on iTunes and subscribe. And as a subscriber to the show, and it's completely free if you haven't already figured that out, um, it's it's free to subscribe, and as a subscriber, every week you get a new episode, as opposed to you know having to count on your memory to to find the show every week and, and listen to the new shows. As a subscriber, just every week, it's going to drop it off into your into your iTunes listing, and and it's just going to be there waiting for you, like a just a pleasant surprise. You can also check the show out on Stitcher Radio, which uh, which is at Stitcher.com. Uh, you can favorite the show. You can put it in your favorites. And so, again, if you listen to podcasts on Stitcher, uh, put the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour in your favorites. And you, too, will uh, just every week when the new episodes are available, uh, they'll be right there waiting for you. And I think with that, we will wrap up this week's episode of the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour. Again, I want to thank everybody for coming back and joining and, and listening. Uh, it means... It means so much more to you. <laughs> Listen to me. It means so much more to you. That that would be that would be a really douchey thing to say, isn't it? Um, that wasn't a Freudian slip. That was just a that was just a weird sort of mix up of words. The fact that I've kept it in here uh, should tell you that uh, that that was a just a just a really dumb mix up. Anyway, what I what I was trying to say is uh, the fact that you guys keep coming back week after week listening to the show. And what I can tell you is, you know, because we're, we're approaching the one-year anniversary of the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour. And the most exciting thing is, week after week, month after month, you know, I, I check the numbers regularly. And, and the show, literally, it grows month after month after month. And every every month, I get more and more listeners come into the show. And... I, I only wish I had the ability to properly articulate how much that means to me. It truly means the world to me. And I don't I don't think there's, you know, it, it may, maybe if I sat down and tried, maybe if I sat down and tried to write a guest post about it, um, 
you know, it, it would it would be like that, waiting for like a, a lightning flash of inspiration. I don't know if I don't know if I could do it. So the best I can do is just say thank you so much. And please know if you're if you're listening right now, if you can hear the sound of my voice, uh, I want you to know that the fact that you're listening to me right now means more to me than I am capable of articulating. So thank you so much for for joining. Thank you so much for listening. Um, and uh, and I hope you're here next week with a, with another episode of the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour. So until next time. I'll see you on the other side.